Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Right now on Fast, the unstoppable builder boom. Housing stocks hitting one high after another. But is a rally justified or has it, as one of our trader calls it? Gotten stupid. We're checking the foundation of this trade. Plus, a meta melt-up shares jumping more than 3% as Wall Street crowns a new biggest bull on the stock. Meta's more than tripled from its November lows, but how much more upside is there? We debate that. And later, a groovy opportunity. Psychedelic therapy is all the rage among entrepreneurs as they seek out their next big breakthrough. And the trend is catching the eye of some big investors. So will this be the next cannabis craze? I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq Market Site on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Guy Adami, Dan Nathan, and Chris Ferrone of Strategus, a Baird company. We start off with that rapid and seemingly unrelentless rise in home builders. Lenar, Pulte Group, NVR, DR Horton all hitting record highs once again today. And the group has been on a tear all year. Just take a look at some of the gains in the major players. In 2023, far outpacing the S&P and even the tech-heavy Nasdaq, the strength comes even amid all the economic uncertainty. Mortgage rates remain near record highs, and that has helped to drive down home prices. The S&P Schiller Index posting its first year-over-year drop in 11 years, and new home sales in May rose 20% from a year ago. So does the current environment support this run that we've seen in the builders, or is this trade on shaky ground? Guy, you're the one who called this trade stupid. <laughs> stupid, yeah. Over, yes, yeah. this morning on the call. I said, with the move we're seeing in Pulte Homes and some of these names, now it's getting a little ridiculous. But collectively, we've been talking about home builders for the better part of the last nine or ten months. When people were running from them for fear of a slowdown, we talked about how supply-demand imbalances were still in play. The fundamentals worked. And look at the stocks. Lenard had been the laggard. That just took out its 2021 high from December. Now they're all off to the races. Now, it is getting a little absurd here. I think this is the wrong time to be piling in. I think Dan would probably agree. I'd love to hear what Chris has to say. But if you've enjoyed the ride, you've enjoyed it for the right reasons. These stocks are going higher for fundamental reasons, not just FOMO reasons. Yeah. Chris, what do you see in the charts here? Well, I think you can have two distinct views. You can have the secular view that this is leadership and may maintain that for some period of time. But in the short term, we're talking about names that are 25, 30 percent above the 200-day moving average in a market that has regularly punished overbought conditions. So I want to be a little bit mindful of that here. If you're looking for things that are not as stretched, Home Depot, Lowe, Sherwin, actually just starting to turn. So some of the derivatives of the housing play, I think, probably more appropriate from a timing standpoint here. Yeah, and there's a 10% gap just about between XHB and ITB showing that sort of difference there. Yeah, no, listen, I... I thought it looked a little silly. I think we talked about it a couple days ago. I think today's price action is kind of interesting. It feels a bit like a chase. It definitely feels like this is the month end. This is quarter end. This is something that has worked. And it's been slightly counterintuitive. I mean, um, that being said, I mean, I think to Chris's point, look at Amasco. It's still down 20% from its 2021 highs, but it does feel like it's trying to put a bottom in here. It's very near its 52-week um, you know, highs. I, I made the point a couple times in the last couple of weeks, the fact that Whirlpool, Masco, some of these stocks weren't 
keeping up pace mm-hmm. with some of the builders. That would kind of lead me to believe that maybe there was like this value trade um, going into this supply-demand dynamic that Guy was talking about. But there's other things. I mean, look at the XLI. I mean, look at the industrials. They, they look like they're about to break out. So for all those folks who, you know, been in the broadening out camp, it's not just this AI thing. There are some things to chew on. I'm not exactly one of them Wait yet. No, 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 no. Oh, I'm not I'm excited. I have to acknowledge. I mean, listen, I've been wrong about plenty of things, and we just kind of try to call it like we see them, but I'm not going to fight this sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, and I guess that's the key, Tim. I mean, this is part of, you know, one of the trades this year that has worked, and in spite of all the reasons to not like it, it's still working, and so you jump on it. But do you jump on it? That's the question. Well, so the guys are talking about some of the other related names in the in the XHB. So let's take a whirlpool. So around 150, 155, that's Chris's chart territory. But I'll just tell you, um, you know, you're kind of breaking through some some important resistance. And whirlpool, which was so badly punished when there was a lot of demand during COVID for appliances and for people staying at home and nesting, couldn't deliver on the products. Major supply chain, major costs uh, and margin headwinds. Now uh, they were a 30 plus percent market share company going into COVID, they went down to low 20s and the stock was was punished for it. Uh, they're back to high 20s. They're seeing margin improvement. So uh, I like Whirlpool here. I, I I think people that are pushing back on the housing sector are right to to, to do that as well. I mean, the, the supply side of it, we, we do this all the time. Diana Olick gives us this, this data all the time. 2.6 months supply um, means that there's going to be a bid even in a rising rate environment, even for people that don't want to leave a mortgage. Uh, and then you have people like Lennar who said, uh, you know, a week ago or so on their numbers that they feel like they're filling a void uh, in in terms of the, the spec market and people that just want to. And again, many cases, these are first time buyers. So um, I think that today's housing data is a bit of a head fake. Like people are relieved that it was that the, the actual uh, housing prices are down small year over year. And they're like, wow, this should be great. Uh, watch that trend because year over year prices were up 20. Uh, they're coming down. And the momentum here on a chart like this doesn't just stop at zero. I think housing prices uh, uh, especially in some in inflated markets, do have to come down. Yeah, the CEO of, of Compass was just on Closing Bell Overtime a little while ago, and he was talking about how everybody with a you know super low mortgage rate, they're holding on, and that creates even more inventory bottlenecks in terms of supply in the market. And that's, that's the, the foundation for, if you will, foundation for this trade uh, to go higher. Makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, if you have a mortgage, you know, sub three and a half percent. Why give it up? Why give it up? Because that's become an asset in this environment, right? And that's added to the reason why these home builders, I think, trade as well as they do. Somewhat counterintuitive. Sherwin-Williams was mentioned. Let's talk about that real quick. Probably trades 26 times-ish, which historically is not ridiculous for the company. But technically, look at what it's done. Had that huge move from 350 down to 205, traded down there a couple times, held. Just got an upgrade yesterday, I think, at BMO Capital. 275 price target. I think what you're going to see with some of these names, analysts will start playing catch-up. You're going to start seeing an upgrade cycle, price targets raised. This is probably a stock you can own for a trade here, for sure. So it sounds like you guys think that this this trade overall or that, you know, the momentum in the sector can continue. But there could be another trade within this, and that is rotating into the value areas of the housing sector. I mean, that's sort of the message that I'm getting. Is yeah, that- I think the last three or four weeks, there has been, Dan, to your point, a hint of this market broadening out. And I certainly don't want to uh, ignore that. What I would say about some of these builders, when you look at a Lennar or a D.R. Horton, the move today, I think, did look a little blow-offy. The last time we saw this type of, uh, it was called early February, and that was followed by about a 15% drawdown in those names. Now, they went on to make new highs, but let's not forget you can get corrects in, uh, in trend. I'd watch two things here. Watch the 10-year yield. 
We're pushing right up against 380, 385. Anything above 390 is a big breakout in yields. I think that would be a very meaningful message for these home building stocks. And second, remember the history of this group. While they were very, very bad in 08, they were great in 01. So their track record in slowdowns is very different than I think many people suspect. Um, let's get Diana a look here. She's got more uh, now with today's key housing data, what it could mean for this space. Diana, you've heard us sort of going around here and you cover the sector very closely. I mean, talk to, the, to us about this data, but also, you know, why we should be more optimistic maybe about this housing trade or should we? Well, Melissa, I think it's really a tale of two housing markets that we got in the data today, and that is the new home market versus the existing home market and the existing homes we saw in the prices. And I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to disagree with Tim, because even though we did see that first year-over-year decline of 0.2% in the case Schiller, which is backdated to April, which is three months backdated, actually, we've now seen three straight months of seasonally adjusted increases in home prices, and that's on the existing home side. And the expectation is because we have such low supply in the market and still strong demand that those prices are going to still push higher again. We are only 2% off of that last June peak, and the S&P case Schiller actually said they believe prices bottomed in January when we started this increase. But when you look on the new home side, that's a completely different story because the builders are obviously benefiting from all of this. And one number I loved in the new home builder data today was that there are now twice as many homes that have been sold but not even started yet as there were a year ago. So that's just a tremendous backlog for the builders. They did bring down prices about 7.5% from a year ago, but that's, you know, they're able to do that. They're doing incentives. They're buying down mortgage rates. That's how they're getting buyers in the door. Existing homes, you can't really do that as much um, because it's a supply and demand crunch that we've really never seen anything like this before, Melissa. So the new home market looks really strong with a huge backlog in terms of existing homes. We saw that peak, as you mentioned, in uh, June of last year, and then it went down to January of this year, sort of yep. recovered from there. I mean, do you think that this is the reset that Jerome Powell was talking? Remember that press conference yeah, when he was I talking mean, about if you were a young, young home buyer out there, I would wait. There's going to be a reset coming. Yeah, a reset of 0.2 percent. I don't see that as a mess. I'm sorry. Look, there were massive outlandish gains, 20% increases. We're still up 45% in home prices from January of 2019. 45%. That's ridiculous. It had to pull back. But that doesn't mean that it was going to drop 20%. We're just coming back to sort of, remember, home prices generally historically go about, up about 4% a year. So now we came back to maybe negative 2.2% or perhaps next month we're gonna see home prices flat. This is not some kind of crash in prices that people thought were gonna reset the market and help buyers get back in. And what was so interesting in the new home sales is these were May signed contracts. And if you looked at mortgage rates, they started May around six and a half percent. We're around there for about two weeks. After two weeks, mid-month, they <clears throat> shot up over 7%, and we still got this incredible home sales number. So that was with rates over 7%. They haven't moved much in the last couple of weeks, around 6.9%. And the builders keep saying, we heard Lenar and KB say it, that buyers are just getting used to this new normal of mortgage rates. All right, Diana, thank you. Sure. Diana Olick breaking it all down for us. Dan? Well, I mean, listen, we're talking about Lenar here. I, I mean... Earnings are expected to be down 30% this year, ish, okay, on sales that are down low single digits. And margins are going to go from 27.5% last year to 23% this year. 
This is not the environment that you want to be buying a stock like this at a high like this at a valuation that I know 10 times seems kind of reasonable relative to the market. But look at what's gone on here. I mean, they're going to be below their 2021 earnings levels. And, you know, again, the, the rates thing, the supply demand thing. I, I mean, this is not this is not the place to chase. I, I like some of the things that Chris is bringing up about some of these tra- uh, trades that could play catch up mm-hmm. for other reasons. And the Home Depot one is kind of interesting. The relative performance too low is it lows is, is, is kind of interesting. So those are the sorts of trades that I think make more sense than chasing these right here. I'm glad Chris is on because he said, you know, you can have corrections within bull market. It's clearly been a bull market for these home yeah. building stocks. I mean, there's no denying that. But we're at a point in this inflection point. Dan said it. It felt a little blow off toppy today, which is why I said today on the call at 1230, it felt a little stupid. When you see a Pulte Homes up two and a half dollars on top of what it's done, it makes you question a little bit. So if you've enjoyed the run, I don't think there's anything wrong with exiting and looking for a better entry point. I do think you'll get that better entry point. To your question to Diana quickly, that's the right question. You remember Jerome Powell on his way off that podium said. Right. There should you, be a reset. So don't you think the Fed is taking a look at this and thinking there is no reset in the housing market percent. right now? And shouldn't that instill fear And that's in the us. risk to rates here. I mean, look at what we've seen in some of these global rates the last couple of weeks. U.K. yields have run away on these home builders. Watch the 50-day averages. They've ridden them the whole way up since last October, November. I think if this, any pullback causes something more serious it's because those 50 days get violated. Also, just be mindful. What's been unusual about this move is they've deviated from the regional banks. Home builders and regional banks historically have moved in step with each other. That's clearly broken down here. Who's right or who's wrong, we'll find out. But an important distinction there. Tim, what your thought? I mean, you think Jerome Powell's taking a well, look at this I- and thinking the economy has cooled down enough for inflation to, to get under you know, control here? Financial conditions are, are, are looser. We all know that. And, and, and I would just put it to it, it does get back to the Fed and it does get back to recession. And you can't tell me housing prices uh, don't go lower if we haven't hit a recession or if we actually think that the Fed has sufficiently tightened rates enough to get to a 2 percent inflation target here then I think housing's doing what it's supposed to do. But, but again, I, I, and I, you know, Diana, by the way, I appreciate her getting up in my grill because, in, in <laughs> fact, she's right. The stabilization in housing prices is, 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 is appropriate over the last couple months. But I, I, I look at, we're not 2008, but I look at, you can't tell me housing wasn't in a bubble during COVID. And you can't tell me at, at essentially record low unemployment um, that assuming that the Fed's job is being, you know, effectively carried out in the market, this is this is not where we go in housing prices. And I again, I don't I, I look at that housing price chart and I see it come down from 20 percent year over year growth to, to basically flat. So I'm not saying it's falling apart. I'm saying that chart doesn't just stop at zero in my book. You know what the group reminds me of? Remember all the European luxury stocks four, six, eight weeks ago? They were untouchable and they were thought about mm-hmm. as untouchable. Right. They've all had 10, 15, some cases, 20 percent drawdown. They're still in trend. Doesn't mean that they're, they're bad secular stories, but things can get ahead of themselves. And I think that's the story with the home builders here. Yeah. Here's, a, here's an interesting would you rather. Mm. I don't think I've ever no. paired these two <laughs> together ever in the history of Fast Money. And the history of Fast Money is very long. Wow. Um, ITB or Netflix, oh. which are up roughly the same percentage year to date. 
This is just because they run. It's not a PE thing. It's not, you know, but from here, guy. Where'd you come up with that one? I had pulled it <laughs> Unscripted, folks. This out is... of thin air. They're both up roughly 40%. I just thought it was interesting. Netflix. Because you wouldn't think Netflix and ITB would be up almost the same percentage. I'll, I'll play your basis. reindeer game correctly. I won't say, can I go off the board? I will say Netflix, given what we just talked about. I think there's still sort of some secular tailwinds for Netflix. It hasn't had that blow off top, whereas these home builders definitely got a little frothy. Well, I, I, know, you I, know, I know you said you're, you're pulling it out of thin air, but I could throw a dart at my main fact set screen that has about 300 stocks, and I could probably hit uh, uh, you know, dozens that are up 40%. I'm sure. I'm not saying Is that. Is that me getting all up in I your am, grill, like I Diana not, got all up in Tim's I grill? I'm not. I don't care. Get up in my grill. I don't care. I am not, I'm yeah. not fearful of anybody being in my grill. I just, no, I like it. I, I'm not denying that there are many stocks of 40% this year. I just paired them. But you know what's interesting about interesting your, your question? Yes. And I don't know if you wanted to take I get this much it. time on that. Is, is that there, as an investor, you have lots of choices, right? Yes. And, and, and so, yes. like, for instance, you would, you would think that, you know, when interest rates started going higher, stocks like Netflix started selling off. This was about a year and a half ago. And now they just don't care about rates. But a sector like this, and to your point about keeping an eye on the 10-year, if it were to break out above that, that might be the trigger to cause that 15 to 20% sort of sell-off just to kind of bring it back towards trend, towards that. might be day. worse for Netflix, though, if you think about the... Uh, story there, but I, I think when you compare those two pictures, one's making new all-time highs and one is not. I want to lean towards ITB here. I think the longer-term Netflix chart is at a spot where it probably starts to stall and ultimately fail. So mm. make that distinction here. Chris played the game correctly. He did. I know I did. I know you. Dan, not so much. You want to give Tim a shot? Sure. Tim, Seymour, what do you say? Well, I, I, I am still long Netflix, but I've been selling some over the last couple of weeks because I, I see some of the things that Chris is talking about in the chart. But I, I'm talking more really on the valuation. So, um, I, I, you know, I'm going to play the game correctly and say ITB, but I, I hate my choices right now, Mel. I'm sorry. Uh, I mean, I would have liked to have thrown a dart and come up with something You want to play off the board? Pull, pull up another stock that's up 40% and throw it at me, and that's fine. I'll, I'll let you go. Dispensation. Well, so you want one right now? Yeah. <laughs> um, let's go with let's go with go Delta Airlines. We're going to talk airlines, nice. so I'll, I'll just leave it there. I mean, I think All they're right. I think they're industrials um, that haven't performed, and, and I think their their valuations are a lot more defendable. Yeah, I don't mean to put that was actually amazing that he pulled up Delta, and it is up year to date forty percent. What he does is the ambassador. Like anyway. Um, speaking of Delta, wheels up for the stock. Shares heading for the clouds as the airline holds its investor day. What the CEO had to say about demand and a possible record quarter. The details next. Plus, the real deal why analysts are getting bullish on Meta's Reels product, how it's uh, fueling the stock's highest price target on Wall Street. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? 
At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Delta Airlines soaring nearly 7% today, hitting its highest level in more than a year after lifting its full-year profit forecast and touting a potential earnings record for the current quarter. CEO Ed Bastian speaking to our Phil LeBeau this morning ahead of its investor day. The demand that we're seeing today is even stronger and the, the value is even greater than we're seeing. We're raising not only the full year, we're raising the second quarter. I think the second quarter is going to be our highest Q2 earnings in our history coming just three years after the start of the pandemic, which is pretty incredible. Delta is also raising estimates for free cash flow this year by almost a billion dollars, so $3 billion from uh, over $2 billion. That's a huge increase. Uh, Tim, you own this one, as you mentioned before. Yeah, and I, I say this about airlines, too, that they're some of the greatest trading stocks in what's been a great trading market. And, and Delta is really only getting kind of the, the, the benefit of the reopening trade here. And I'll let Chris talk about the chart. But uh, when you're up 15 percent, kind of mid-teens-ish uh, to your 2019 RASM, TRASM, whatever you want to pick acronym, uh, and uh, we, know what, we know what they mean. Um, so ra- revenue per available seat miles. Sorry, I, need, I can't do that without saying what it is. But, but this is a story where with airlines, nothing like a good crisis to get them to reel in the excess and, and the inefficiency. So when they start talking about capacity holding the line, you start thinking as an investor, at least for now, there's discipline in the airline sector. And, and they saw God because things got really nasty. Uh, and Delta, of all of them, by the way, didn't leverage their balance sheet. So Delta is the best. And, and again, they're the ones where you can talk about 2019 because the EV is more or less the same uh, relative to their peers. Chris? I think Tim is right. These are trading stocks. Mm-hmm. They've been trading stocks. Our whole careers, they've been trading stocks. They're still trading stocks. The preempt of this move <laughs> was the last four, five, six weeks when Delta and UAL, they all held their 200 in that pullback back in May. I think the gap the last several days is impressive. I could get you probably 60 on Delta. That's the 2019 highs. I could get you probably 70 on UAL. Frankly, I think that's the better chart here coming out of a base. Even, dare I say, Southwest may be hinting at a turn here. But remember, these are trading vehicles. These were at the center of the storm three years ago. When you're in the center of the storm, you remain trading stocks, not investments, for the next number of years that follow. Think about the banks coming out of 2009. There were times to make money, but they weren't investments. They were trades. Think about the airlines the same way here. This is uh, somebody's final trade last night, Guy. Oh, sorry. I didn't know you were looking at me. <laughs> you know they play poker? You do, right? I Card do. game? Everybody's got to tell, right? Okay. 386 was on the set, and then it was Dan, myself, 386, and Tim. You know, you don't, you see, you're rolling your eyes. You're like, where are I'm you going with this? Eyes. No, I'm I know you. Eyes. I have a place to go with this. Okay. And there was some negative news out on Delta in the entire space. It was in early May. The stock actually closed higher that day. Collectively, we said, that's a bit of a tell. Stock should have gotten crushed. It did not. And it's now broken through probably a two and a half, three year downtrend. I'll get you to 49, which was the high, I think, in sure. April of 2021. That's where it probably tops out in the short term. You know, yeah. with, yeah. In that same spirit, think about how CCL in the cruises traded yesterday. They oh. couldn't close it on the lows. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. today makes up the whole move, right? There's, there's wisdom in this price action stuff that we all look at. And I think the price action there the last two days is pretty important.
There's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Reel in our call of the day. Why analysts are poking Meta for a big move higher. And how Reels is driving the action. The details next. Plus, markets on pace to put in a banner first half. But can stocks continue their run through the next six months of the year? What the technicals are saying about the market's next move. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back to Fast Money. Meta rising more than 3% today after Citi upped its price target on the stock, setting a strong rebound ahead for the company's online advertising market. Citi's new target of 360 is the highest target on the street and about 25% above today's close. And of course, this on the heels of just a, a huge run up in the past year. Dan, where do you stand on this? I mean, it's up 200%. I mean, you couldn't yeah. give it away at $88. It's 288 now. Um, I mean, listen, I, you know, I, I have tremendous respect for the job of being a fundamental analyst. It's a hard job, especially in a very volatile environment and names like these where some people don't care about valuations at certain times. You're trying to do your fundamental work. But they're just chasing their tails on all of this stuff, you know. And um, so to me, I, I don't find it particularly interesting here. And um, you know, here's a company that lost 80% of its value from the time that they changed their uh, name to Meta and their focus of the company. And now they have a chat bot um, and that was worth uh, $300 billion in this AI thing this year. And you know, chat bots have been around for a while, people. I'm surprised that in this sort of you know, price target raise that there was not a mention really of AI, that the, that the real driver of this was the ad load on reels. Um, which seemed like a good sign as opposed to just jumping on the Which is actually core wagon. Facebook. Yeah. So if Carter Worth were here, which he's not. We have Chris Verone. No, I know. Okay. I'm going to bring up Chris Verone in a second. I will point <laughs> out that, and Chris knows this, we just filled a gap today from a, from a level we made back in January of 2022. We created a gap to the downside. I didn't think it would be filled for a foreseeable future. And here we are 18 months or so later filling it in. This is a very logical place, I think, for this stock to sort of stall out, given the run that Dan just said. They report earnings, I want to say, at the end of July, so there's some time. I don't know. It getting, this is also getting a little frothy to me as well. It was 289 was the level. Uh, hit it today, backed off of it. Four times this year, you've gone back and checked to the 50-day. I think that's a reasonable call here. 50 days of roughly 250 right now. It's 30 bucks lower. I think particularly when you look at some of the analyst ratings here, all the buys have come in recently. You're back up to about 80% of analysts have a buy on this stock. That was as low as 40 or 50% of the start of the year. So people have chased here. Um, don't be surprised if this stalls. It stalls, but it's still in a positive trend. The trend is up. And I think you could say that about a lot of tech. I mean, look at Alphabet right now. It's come right back to the 50. Those aren't big moves. But when they're this extended, that can be 15 or 20 percent lower. That can ruin a quarter or half a year. So just want to be a little bit mindful of that here. Yeah. How would you trade this, Tim? I think you stay long. 
this is one of these ones where it, it's it's you know whatever the valuation didn't make sense on the way down, so maybe it shouldn't make sense on the way up. But it, you're you're not you know you're not holding your nose on the valuation. The reels business didn't exist like this a few years ago. Let's be clear. Uh, and, and again, the call out of city is ten and a half billion on twenty fourteen reels. Uh, that that's that's a very different business and a business that at least when you bring it back to the AI conversation, people are talking about this TAM growth that actually Facebook gets uh, should get more credit than than anybody. Uh, ad revenues uh, going up 14%. I've said before, I, I, I think a lot of the, the media companies were punished first and they asked questions later. And I think there is some cyclicality here uh, to at least seeing where we are uh, in, in terms of the advertiser market. That's part of why I think these upgrades are coming. Well, I'll tell you one thing, you know, if Reels, Reels growth, okay, Reels has taken over Instagram. It really has, right? So the blue page is gone. Instagram used to be the thing where you'd, you'd post the picture. So now it's just all Reels. So they're chasing TikTok here. And in, like, to use the term that is just so essential to these business models, these social platforms have been very ephemeral, right, when you think about it. So the fact that 90% of what goes on in Instagram is now Reels doesn't make me want to buy this thing near $800 billion in market cap. This is you know, up 250% after it lost 80% from the time that they did their other big pivot. So to me, I actually think, again, I think you're chasing your tail. I'm Tim, and I'm not talking about you because I know you've been on this thing or whatever. I bought this thing last fall when it was absolutely washed up. This doesn't make a lot of sense to me because I think at some point they're going to be forced to change Instagram back to something that looks a bit more like Instagram and not TikTok. All right. Coming up, we're in the final days of trading for the first half of the year. But can stocks keep the rally going into year end? What the technicals say about the market's next move next. Plus, a check in the options pits ahead of Micron earnings. That stock is up more than 30 percent this year. But can the semi-search continue? How to play that one when Fast Money returns? Get your trades to go with the Fast Money Podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks rallying today in the final week of the first half of trading. The Dow jumping more than 200 points, breaking a six-day losing streak. The S&P and NASDAQ both up more than 1% as tech leads the gains. And speaking of tech... Apple hitting yet another all-time high during the session, getting just a stone's throw away from, from the $3 trillion market cap. Meantime, shares of Walgreens dropping nearly 10% after reporting results this morning. The pharma retailer missing on earnings and lowering its full-year guidance. Shares of CB, CVS excuse me, falling in sympathy. And Regeneron shares dropping late in the session after the FDA had rejected the company's next blockbuster drug contender, a high-dose version of its macular degeneration treatment. That stock is down nearly 9% after hours. Well, it's been a strong start to the year, but as we look to wrap up the first half, what can we expect in the second part of the year? Chris brought some charts, Chris. Yeah, we brought a couple charts to talk about maybe what's in store the second half of the year. You know, it's been an unusual first six months in the context of while there's a lot that looks very early cycle, whether that's discretionary or industrials or home builders, there's also a lot that suggests we're still in the same old cycle with an inverted yield curve. So we went back and we looked what were the largest rallies ever with an inverted curve. And there were two big outliers. 1979 had about a 30 percent rally with an inverted curve and mid 06 to mid 07, I think a period we remember well, also about a 30 percent rally with an inverted curve. So put 30% on last October's low, get you about 4,500, 45,50. So you start thinking about maybe as that is kind of the top end of the range here. When you kind of go chart by chart here, um, I think the bright spot, at least recently to enter the fold, is the inclusion of the transports. They had 
basically been absent for much of the last six months. We just talked about the airlines. Some of the trucks have woken up here. Uh, FedEx good, UPS not so much, but I think on balance, the improvement of the transports is certainly welcome. And maybe it's the fact that crude continues to trade so poorly is the reason we're getting airlines and transports and consumer uh, involved here, because the crude chart looks absolutely terrible. I think that's a big missing piece of kind of the new cycle, secular bull story. Typically, crude's involved on that. This is the fifth time now that oil's testing this $65, $67 range. I don't know of many quintuple bottoms uh, in my career. So my guess is that does not hold. Uh, But two things I think we've got to watch for the second half of the year. One is credit. It quietly has not kept pace with equities the last few weeks here. JNK is what we're looking at here. Actually closed below the 200-day moving average on Friday. It's bounced a little bit the last several days, but I think very important as a barometer moving forward. And then, as Dan said earlier, the banks have largely not been involved here, and the brokers in particular. Uh, Not many examples of a market going up much further when Goldman and Morgan Stanley and Bank of America are not involved. Here's the Goldman chart, certainly one uh, of the softer ones there. So there's certainly things to like with transports, discretionary, and industrials, but we've got to be mindful. Curve, oil, credit looks a little bit more end of cycle than new cycle. So in the past 30% rallies in 79 and 05, 06, uh, mid-06 to mid-07. Mid-06 to 07. Did we have all of these different things working? Or were there always you know, things that didn't work? It's never a puzzle that fits together perfectly. Mm-hmm. I think we've all been doing that long enough to know. What I remember so distinctly, particularly in spring and summer of 07, was how disparate and all the messages were. Uh, rates surged in summer of 07. Transports actually started to work. You got another big gasp in energy. Um, at the same time, you were losing stuff like housing and consumers. So you got these very disparate messages. It reminds me a little bit of a couple of weeks ago with that payroll report, right, where we did 300 on the payrolls and negative 300 on the household survey. These very, very divergent data. You actually tend to see that later cycle. So it feels familiar in that respect, Mel. It's interesting that he mentions 06, 07. Mm-hmm. Remember some of the dialogue? I mean, we started doing this show in 07, as yeah. you know. Yeah. And some of the dialogue was equally very hard to figure out, delayed a lot of cross currents, just like we're seeing now. Then subsequently it happened. This yield curve, by the way, now inverted for 15 or so months, yeah. 16 months at levels we haven't seen in 40-odd years. People will say it's not a big deal this time. I couldn't disagree with that more. I think it's actually a bigger deal this time. Because the move from, again, 110 down to 40, back to a percent, it's not stopping here. And at a certain point, I believe, that's going to affect the credit markets in the form of JNK or HYG and subsequently the equity markets. Yeah, I think the mistake here would be thinking a curve that steepens from here is bullish. The steepening of the curve is game over, right? The curve steepens because short rates fall. Why do short rates fall? Because the economy is slowing. Why does credit widen? Because the economy is slowing and rates fall out of the bottom. So I would be careful with this idea that, oh, we really want the curve to steepen. We can survive in this purgatory of inverted curve. The end of a cycle can persist much longer than people suspect. We saw that in 98 to 2000. We certainly saw it 06 to 07. A steeper curve here, I think, would be a problem. Tim? I, I guess, you know, the, the way the market has moved, it's all moved slowly in terms of the sequences of what we've been expecting after a, a, a pandemic and unprecedented amount of stimulus and balance sheet from the government thrown at it. It's a long way of saying uh, I, I, I kind of agree with the rhetoric here. I just think that the market we have uh, isn't ready to roll over and turn into the 2008 from the 06 
uh, 07, which is not what Chris is saying, by the way. Um, I, I just think I, I look at we've got some inflation numbers that aren't really great on core, but but the headlines and the scary inflation are probably uh, going to be out of the way, at least for the next month or so. We've got a Fed at the end of the month. We've got uh, a month of July that historically seasonally is one of the best months of the year. Um, you've got semis that don't look like they're giving up their relative performance to the S&P right now. Those are the things that at least as I'm looking at this market for the next four to six weeks, say, I don't think the game's over. And, and even though I agree with everybody um, that I, I think the, the, the macro does not look good and the leading indicators are not turning positive, um, it's just not time. Yeah, to stick with uh, Chris's theme about disparate, I mean, here, here's the thing, right? So, like, if you think about what he just said about crude, and then you think about what he just said about the jobs market, I mean, that is really stagflationary in a way, right? And so the question is, to a guy's point about, you know, the, 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 the you know, we're at 1% in the 210. I think in 06, 07, I think at the most we were like 25 basis points. Now, they stayed inverted for a while, but there doesn't seem to be any end in sight. And to your point about a re-steepening, that would say something about economy. And if it is a stagflationary sort of economy, that will not be kind to equity valuations that are pushing levels that are above the 10-year average right now. So to me, it is a confusing time, but I think you got to start thinking about things in a barbell approach and think, you know, maybe just because crude is lower and that's a great for inputs or lumber is at you know 52 week lows and that's great for home builders maybe it's also saying something about a different economic environment that we're going to be in and, and stocks don't really seem priced for something like that it's this odd dynamic as well where we know wages are sticky and the core is sticky as headline falls does it actually inhibit producers from passing on cost and is that then the next weakness in margins that might be in front of us here. I think that's something to think about. I think the bond market might give us some clues there. Maybe it already is giving us some clues uh, on that front. But when I look at some of the moves we've seen in some European short rates over the last couple of weeks, UK twos are through their highs from last fall. Norwegian, Sweden, Aussie, CAD, all through their highs from last fall. Those are some very big messages coming from the bond market and short rates here. I think it would be a stretch to say the Fed is done. So what would the check back level be? So 50 days been good support basically since the March banking crisis. I think you looked at the 50 day first on S&P. Anything above that's Which order. Is, uh, anything, let, let's call it 4250. Okay. Um, rounding error, maybe 4255 uh, after today. It's ascending. Um, any check back to that, I think, is orderly. You start talking underneath that, then you begin to raise the question, is something changing? But, you know, Tim's right. We have seasonality here for about four more weeks through about mid-July. Then you start to lose that. Coming up, Micron earnings on deck and options traders are plugging in ahead of tomorrow's report, how they are playing the semi-stock next. And throughout June, CNBC is celebrating Pride Month. Here's Pfizer's chief corporate affairs officer. On my journey, I was very fortunate to come out early when I was in my 20s, and it's given me a lifetime to build true, deep, authentic relationships based on honesty and truth. We can never stop celebrating and honoring Pride Month. The important rights that we've won, those that I hold dear, the ability to be married, to have adopted a child, cannot be taken for granted. And we need to think about that at least once a year. Welcome back to Fast Money. Micron shares rising more than 2% today after Citi reiterated its buy call in the chip maker, but it's underperformed the broader semi-sectors over the past month. Still, options traders are betting that could turn around when the company reports earnings after the bell tomorrow. Mike Coe's got the action. Mike? 
Yeah, so Micron right now, options market implying a move of about 6% after they report earnings. That's in line with the average over the last eight reported quarters. It traded 1.7 times its average daily call volume and the busiest contract were the July 73 calls. We saw 9,400 of those trading, opening, buyers betting, 92 cents a contract that the stock could rise more than 10% by July expiration. Chris? You know, it's been a laggard in the group. I think the group's been so strong. Do we really want to chase laggards here? It reminds me a little bit of Intel from that respect. I, the only time I feel Intel works is when you're at the end of a move. Micron looks similar. I'm not involved. What's I'm the difference between a laggard and a catch-up trade within a group? I mean, you look at the strength that you've seen in the semis for six, seven, eight months now, and this one has decided not to participate at all. Mm-hmm. So, you know, makes you wonder. Also, ha- has backed off the highs here the last four or five days, um, has not kept pace. Quietly, also, AMD is down 20% from the highs. I'm not sure mm-hmm. anyone's even noted that. Oh, well, this guy. There's some. A couple times. A couple times. There's some. Thanks guy, for watching. There's some bifurcation. <laughs> there's some bifurcation going on in this group, and it feels more like the end of the move than the beginning of the move. No, but what's the difference between a lag? No, I, I, listen, I think, and you're not, you're no, not trying to be nuanced. No, I, like, no, we're I, talking about Home Depot. Yeah, you know, listen, you know, why not? Why think, is this different? I think you're 100% right in bringing that up. And you have to make sometimes, and this is important, some, certain stocks lag for re- Intel, for example, lags for a reason. People will try to use it as a catch-up mm-hmm. trade until the rug gets pulled out from under. So I think you have to understand what you're getting into it for. And I'm not trying to shirk your question. I think it's a great question. But understand that if these stocks haven't behaved well in a broader tape and a sector that's done well, there's a reason for it. Mike, thank you. Mike Coe, for more Options Action, tune into the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. After the break, a real trip. Could psychedelic therapy be the next cannabis? How medicinal mushrooms are entering the mainstream and how you can invest when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Wall Street is making big bets that psychedelic drugs like MMDA and psilocybin could soon go mainstream as treatments for mental health. The top investors like Steve Cohen and Peter Thiel pouring millions into research on psychedelic-assisted therapies. The recent investment boom could help the industry grow even faster than the cannabis sector, with Brand Essence projecting that the market valuation of psychedelics could reach nearly $12 billion by 2029. Here to weigh in on the progress of psychedelic-assisted therapies is Michael Mullet. Chief Operating Officer of MAPS Public Benefit Corporation. The organization is focused on developing MMDA-assisted therapies for post-traumatic stress disorder, which could see FDA approval as early as next year. Great to have you with us. Um, There was just a big conference in Colorado last week about this, so there's a lot of interest. How far is it from becoming, you know, the next cannabis in your view? Yeah, first of all, I appreciate you having me, Um, Melissa. This is a a really exciting time. Denver was a really exciting conference with over 12,000 people in attendance. Um, I think the biggest takeaway from that is that over half of those people in attendance were medical providers. They were uh, therapists and physicians looking to apply MDMA-assisted therapy and other psychedelics to to their toolbox to help people with very significant mental health conditions like like PTSD. Um, So it's been a really exciting time. Your background is from traditional pharma, Sanofi, as well as Moderna. Are you getting the sense that big pharma is going to join in on the action, or is it going to be like in the cannabis industry, really um, the territory of, of upstarts of other companies out there that exist now? Yeah, I, you know, I think that um, maybe a few things. I, I think the approach for psychedelics and psychedelic-assisted therapies is a bit different than that of cannabis. You know, a, a good 
thing that we like to point to, especially in this space, are launches from providers like Janssen for Spravato or uh, GW Pharma with Epidiolex, uh, GW Pharma, which is now Jazz, uh, with Epidiolex, which are um, prescription medications delivered in the healthcare system. And psychedelic and psychedelic assisted therapies like MDMA assisted therapy, which is what we are working on, uh, will all be provided in the healthcare system. So we, we see more parallels in the psych, um, in the pharmaceutical space for rollout and sensitivities. Michael, the venerable Wall Street Journal had an article today called The Drugs That Power Silicon Valley. It's talking about LSD, ketamine, magic mushrooms. The first line of this article states, Elon Musk tastes ketamine. Yeah. Is the stigma gone from these drugs? Like, it, it seems like this, these are like serious drugs. They were like- Schedule you, one drugs. Schedule one drugs. So, so it's just kind of interesting. That struck me before I knew you were gonna be on today. I read that article this morning and I was like kind of floored. Yeah, look, I think the stigma is certainly going away. I, you know, and, and of course, because there's so much data. You know, one of the really exciting points that I always like to point out to people is that, you know, the FDA presented in March a slide that showed the number of clinical papers that have been delivered on the space of psychedelics over um, the last few years. And it's remarkable, this, this uptick. Um, so as the science develops, as the science evolves, so too go with it all of the public perceptions. So um, where we stand in clinical trials today, we've completed two phase three studies um, and are ready to develop an approval process with the FDA. We will be submitting MDMA-assisted therapy for the use uh, in PTSD in the fall with approval as early as next year. So I think the data will lead. So PTSD, what are some of the other use cases for this potentially? Well, I think, PTSD, first of all, PTSD is a huge one. PTSD yeah. affects 13 million people in the United States today, veterans, uh, women, uh, disproportionately affects women. Um, I think the next disorders, especially for uh, MDMA, can be things that are focused in trauma. What MDMA helps people to do is actually address root cause trauma as opposed to masking symptoms. So I think it's really important to look at trauma-informed uh, 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 diseases or mental health conditions. Right. Michael, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate having following you. following this space. Michael Millette. Up next, Final Trades. for the final trade, Tim Seymour. Tim Seymour. Tim Seymour. All right, he can't hear me, or he's ignoring me. Chris Brown. Long Parker Hannafin, these machinery stocks are big, big bases. They've all broken out. Stay there. Dan Nathan. Great question by you, that ex, uh, the, the laggard thing or the this or that or whatever. XLV feels like a laggard, but there's a lot of stocks in there that are working really well, and I think some of them play a little catch-up, so XLV. We got Tim back or no? I don't know. Tim, are you back? It's like Charles Van Duren sequestered. No. I could say mean things about he him. Can. He wouldn't even what know would it. What would you say, though? I wouldn't say anything mean because he's a very handsome man. He's got great Steely hair, blue, eyes. blue eyes. You ever see the guy drum? He's a genius. Anyway. His vocals are tremendous. Look at him. He has, he has no idea. Ask now, it. ask how, <laughs> ask Sherwin-Williams. <laughs> Thanks for watching Fast. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. 
All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.